Isaiah 6 according to what the author uh, put in his notes. But I, I see many things that we'll see tonight in Exodus uh, chapter 3. There's one. I think you'll pick those up as we go along. But by way of introduction, I want to consider this, the call of Moses, uh, through the lens of the New Testament. As we look at it, we know that dispensationally, uh, we're not Israel. We're the church. We're not under the law. We're under grace. But as you look at how God worked in the Old Testament, there are, despite the differences, there are many similarities as well. I'd just like to point out some of those. Israel was God's chosen people. It says in Deuteronomy 7, 7, The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you, because you are more in number than any people, for you are the fewest of all people. Of course, we know the true church uh, uh, that is made up of believers who have accepted Jesus Christ by faith. That they are as well the chosen of God, as it says in Ephesians 1.4, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. And we can spend a lot of time there. It's a very difficult thing to understand that God could choose those who would by faith respond uh, to the gospel. And we know that whosoever uh, asks to be saved can be saved. And we certainly know that the gospel is there for everybody, but we also know that God says he chose so again, the similarity of chosen people. We find deliverance by a sacrificial lamb. Israel was temporarily delivered from Egypt and death by the blood of the Passover lamb. Exodus 12:13. The blood shall be to you for a token upon the house where you are. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And we know believers are eternally delivered by the death of the lamb of God. Revelation 13:8. All that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And in the Old Testament, though, again, different dispensation, they were saved by faith. We find Abraham. It says in Romans 4, 3, For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. We know that believers in the New Testament, of course, are saved by faith. Ephesians 2, 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God. Of course, we know that God is the same. He says in Malachi 3, 6, I change not. He says, Jesus said in Hebrews 13, 8, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. There are other great similarities. Man's need is the same. The, the need's no different than it was in the Old Testament. Sin has separated uh, man from God. It says in Isaiah 59, 2, the Old Testament, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. And in Romans 3.23, for all sin and come short of the glory of God. So the need's the same. We know that the priority of what God has called us to do as people on the earth is still the same as well. And that is Israel was to bring glory to God. And as New Testament believers, the primary purpose of our lives is to bring glory to God. We see it in 1 Samuel 12.22 of the Old Testament. For the Lord will not forsake his people. Why? For his great name's sake, for his glory. Because it hath pleased the Lord. To make you his people. Ephesians 1.12. That we should be to the praise of his glory. Who first trusted in Christ. And the reason I bring out the truth of the similarities. Because tonight as we look at this call in the Old Testament. I don't want to just relegate to Old Testament. And say that's the way God worked back then. But God doesn't necessarily work that way today. We're going to look at six statements. That are found in the text here in Exodus chapter 3. They're statements. Um, that uh, of God's uh, purpose and plan. The statements, as we'll see, 
are, I have seen, I have heard, I know, I, I am come, I will send, I will go. And those statements, as we see that, I think tonight that we can look at that as a, as a pattern as to how God works in his burden for, for uh, ministering to his people. And here we see God light a fire as he calls Moses. And let's uh, read the passage here, beginning, please, in Exodus chapter 2, beginning at verse 23. It says, It came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. The children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage. And they cried, and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. He said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I'm the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, now here's the first statement, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. And second statement, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. Third statement, for I know their sorrows. Fourth statement, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land unto a good land, a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come up unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, fifth statement, I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, Certainly, the last statement, Certainly I will be with thee. This shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God upon this mountain. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to look at it this evening. Help me to be wise, Father, with our time this evening. Father, I pray that your spirit would please speak to our hearts. Father, I pray, knowing that the Lord of the harvest is very burdened about the harvest field, that tonight, by your grace, you'd speak to hearts very specifically about answering your call. And, Father, I pray that you please guide this time, that you be glorified in it. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we look at this Old Testament story, and in my mind I'm just thinking, if God worked in the same way today as he did in this time of Moses, then there are two questions that come to my mind. And their questions, the questions are, what would it take for God to light a fire? The second one, why would a fire be lit? What would it take for God to light a fire and why would a fire be lit? And I want to consider the second question first. And second, because it considers the last three statements that we looked at. Why would a fire be lit? And, and to summarize it, you could summarize it as God's call. The fire was lit because God was calling. It answers the, the, the statements, I am come, I will send, I will go. God used the fire there to show Moses his holy presence. 
to get Moses to turn aside and to instruct Moses. And then as Moses feared serving God, he said to comfort Moses and encourage Moses with his presence. So why would a fire be lit? First of all, because God had come. I am come down to deliver them. Verse 8. Now, this was the perfect time. This wasn't just a, a random time. This is a very specific time. We see that as in Acts 7, Stephen shares uh, the story, re, re, repeats the story about God coming at this time. It says in Acts 7, 17, but when the time of the promise drew nigh, which God had sworn to Abraham, and then he goes into the call. Well, with regard to us, our dispensation, has there been a specific time where God has come to deliver his people? The answer is yes. Galatians 4, 3, and 5 through 5. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Perfect time. God came as the deliverer. And here at the burning bush, God was saying to Moses, I am come to deliver. You know, as clearly as Jesus came and was born of a virgin and lived a sinless life and went to Calvary and and died and rose again in the same way, he evidenced to us and to all generations preceding ours that he had come to deliver his people. Why would a fire be lit? Because God had come. Secondly, because God was calling. Find here he was instructing a man. He says in verse 10 to Moses, I will send thee. Think about this statement. He didn't ask Moses, Moses, would you, would you like to enlist as a leader for me? Now he says to Moses, Moses, I will send thee. Acts 7.35, this Moses, whom they refused, saying, who made thee a ruler and a judge? The same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. You know, did Moses have to wonder what God wanted him to do? Oh, it's very clear. For his, for his entire life after that, as, as he faced the trials of leading the children of Israel and became burdened with his responsibilities, he looked back at the fact that God had called. Is God going to have a burning bush outside the building tonight? And as people leave here, very specifically, going to light that bush on fire so that people will turn aside? No. But can God speak with a fire of conviction in our hearts? Luke twenty four thirty two says, And they said, one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? And as the Lord Jesus opened the word of God to those men on that road, their hearts burned. Would to God that he would, would, would speak with the burning heart to us tonight. That they had maybe not a burning bush, but a heart that is very burdened about the fact that we have six and a half billion people in the world that God has said to us, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And that it's our responsibility as a church to take them the gospel. And that's the truth. Mark 16, 15 gives us that command. And you may look at that command and say, but that was, that was to the, the, the disciples. As Jesus said to them, that's your responsibility. Go ye into all the world. And yet, in the Matthew account, in the next verse, it says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. What had he just commanded them? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So as we look at uh, God saying to Moses, Moses, I will send thee. God says to us tonight, I will send thee. It may just be Sheridan. But certainly our impact needs to go beyond Sheridan because Sheridan isn't the world. 
And so our involvement in uh, ministry and our involvement in missions needs to go beyond that to be obedient to God standing at the burning bush and saying to us, I will send thee. We find also not only was he calling a man, he was accompanying a man. Verse 12, he said, I will be with thee. God didn't expect Moses to go alone. In fact, Moses would not have succeeded if he had gone, gone alone. You look at the first uh, statement that God made. I am come to deliver them. Moses was going to be the spokesperson, but the power behind Moses was, was God's presence. We find that promise again to us, Matthew twenty-eight twenty, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. You know, we don't have to be afraid as, as, as God instructs us. Maybe some of you young people uh, burdens your heart about missions. You think, how, can, how in the world could I ever accomplish that or do that? We've got the promise of God's presence. You don't have to worry. As, as maybe you're a timid person. You feel like, you know what, I can't go up to someone's door and knock and say, look, let me tell you about Jesus. But we have the promise of the person of God going with us, his presence, his power, his ability. It's not us. And here he says to Moses, look, Moses was nervous. He said, I am with thee. Why would a fire be lit? Because of God's call. Secondly, what would it take for God to light a fire? And this has to do with God's compassion. These three statements, God says, I have seen, I have heard, and I know. God's people, for, uh, for God to be compassionate, God's people would have to be in bondage. He says, I have seen the affliction of my people. You know, we can look tonight and Paul says, be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And we could say, there are believers that are today entangled with the yoke of bondage. I met a mother uh, a few weeks ago at a church we were at. Her son Joshua had gone off into the world. He was the prodigal son. You know, that mother's heart was very burdened about her son that was in bondage to the world. Do you think Jesus cares less about her son than she does? No. We see that in the story of the prodigal son. As the father is there, he sees him yet a, a long ways off and he has compassion on him. You may be here tonight and you're in bondage to sin. You know what? God has a heart for you. Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. But in sin, God has a burden for those that are in bondage. What about those who will be saved? Jesus said to Paul, Paul, I have yet many people in the city. They weren't saved yet. They were the people that would be saved. Jesus, in his intercessory prayer, prayed, not, I don't just pray for these. I pray for those that will believe on me through their words. I believe tonight that God's compassion for his people extends to those who will be saved as well. And, of course, it extends beyond that. It extends to the whole world. So tonight, with regard to God's compassion, God sees the affliction. God's burdened about it. You know, we don't, we're not so often. We will walk by people this week, and we don't know anything about their life. And we see them as just uh, a body walking past us. But God sees them as an individual that will spend somewhere or be somewhere for all of eternity, and if they're not saved, it'll be hell. And he's burdened about that. So I think tonight, again, as we look at the call of Moses, God has compassion for those people. God's people would have to be in bondage. We find as well that God's people would need to be begging because God says, I have heard their cry. Egypt had become oppressive, and finally Israel cries out and says, enough, we can't take it any longer. We need God to deliver us. And they begin to cry out to God for deliverance. Again, with regard to us, our dispensation, would we have any reason to cry out to God for deliverance? And the answer is, we probably have great reason. But I wonder if, with regard to Israel and Egypt, 
it took them 400 years to begin to really beg God. It had to get very uh, difficult for them. And I wonder with us, it's just easy perhaps to say, you know, this day and age, perhaps not many are getting saved. You know, it's just impossible to raise up kids these days. We just expect them to go into the world. You know, our mission's influence is declining instead of increasing as the population grows. But that's just the way it is. Instead of being burdened about it and beginning to cry out to God and say, God, deliver us. And getting earnest about seeking the face of God. I wonder, does God hear our cry? It says in the story, God was responding to the heart of Israel, crying out and saying, God, we need deliverance. And God said, I've heard that. But again, in my heart, my life, am I burdened about sin in my life? Am I burdened about sin in my family? Am I burdened about sin in my church? Am I burdened about sin in my community, sin in the world? Are we crying out to God? Does God hear our cry? God's people would need to be begging. We find as well that God's people would need to be broken. As God said in verse 7, I know their sorrow. It proved the sincerity of the cry. It wasn't, it wasn't lip service to God. Okay, yeah, yeah, let's pray about this. No, it was, they had a heart that the, 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 the result of their heart being broken was that they pled with God to deliver them. Again, does, does God see us broken? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 7.10, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world work at that. Godly sorrow is repentant. It acknowledges what God thinks about sin. You know, that will make you sorrowful. We see our sin as God sees it. But again, with regard to that verse, you look at that. Godly sorrow work at repentance to salvation. When is the last time you wept because of sin in your life? When is the last time we, we wept because of sin in our family life? When's the last time we wept because of sin in our church or sin in our community and and a desire to see God deliver? Does God see our and and know our sorrow? As you look at this story and you see God calling. God lit the fire to, to specifically instruct Moses with regard to his ministry. But you know, tonight as we... Look at it dispensationally. Would God do that today? I think we have a lot of truth in the Word of God that would answer these, this same scenario. That if we as, as believers would become burdened and cry out to God, that God would raise up young people. In fact, that's what the New Testament teaches. Pray there for the Lord of the harvest, that he'll send forth laborers into his harvest. And if God answered tonight in the same way that he answered with Moses, how would you respond? In my presentation, at the end of it, it, it has Isaiah's call, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then the statement, Are you willing to go? Not, not will you go, but are you willing to go? Would you say to God, God, if, if that's what you have for me, if it's, if it's missions, if it's ministry, maybe it's door to door. Maybe it's uh, some form of evangelism. But God, if that's what you have for me, God, I will do that. May God help us to respond as Moses turned aside to see why the bush burned. Let's pray. Father, I praise you for your grace tonight. Thank you for the time we've been able to spend around your word. I pray the Spirit of God would apply the truth of your word to our hearts. We thank you for your mercy and your grace to us this evening. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.